If you are joining us on the radio, KKVV, or you are watching us on the internet at www.abundantlifelv.org, we are thrilled to have you from the Abundant Life Seventh-day Adventist Church. We have been hearing from our senior pastor, Dr. Calvin B. Rock, and he has been sharing a series on the Sabbath. Today, we ask you to join us once again with your Bibles and partake of another intriguing and adventurous sermon from God's book, the Holy Bible. Before our senior pastor comes to us, we will hear from our pastor, Wayne O'Bannon, who will be preparing our hearts with a sacred selection. Then we will hear from our speaker, Dr. Calvin B. Rock. Hear ye him. For the things you've done for me, things so undeserved, yet you gave to prove your love for me, the voices of a million angels could not express my gratitude all that i am or ever hope to be i owe it all to thee to god be the glory With his blood he has saved me, with his power he has raised me, to God be the glory for the things he hath done. Just let me live my life And let it be pleasing, Lord, to Thee And should I gain any praise Let it go to Calvary 
with his blood he has saved me with his power he has raised me to god be the glory for the things he hath done amen thank you pastor bannon for the message and for singing from your soul shall we pray our Father in heaven, we come now to give glory to you, to your name, in the study of your word. And our prayer is that you would hide us behind the cross and that Jesus shall shine brightly in every heart. In his name and for his sake we ask it. Amen. Again, we say welcome on board to our radio audience we know that many of you listen regularly but if this is your first time we hope that you'll make it a habit we enjoy having you as our guest the membership here at the church knows that for some several preaching regular preaching occasions I have been sharing on the thought of she being dead yet speaketh she being dead yet speaketh and that scripture is but an introduction to the broader study of the gift of prophecy and how it is that the writings of Ellen White fit into the church economy. How the writings of the spirit of prophecy fit into what the church does and is doing and who we are. And uh, we began by making it clear, hopefully, that this gift is what the prophet herself called the lesser light and that the Bible is the, what kind of light, everybody? The greater light. The lesser light and the greater light. And of course, we also laid the introduction from Revelation 12, 17, where God, through his servant, promised that in the last days, there would be raised up a people a church, a movement, if you please, that would be identified in two ways. First of all, Revelation 12, 17, they would be keeping the what of God? Commandments, Commandments of God, and that they would have the testimony of who, everybody? Jesus. The testimony of Jesus. And we yoke that with Revelation 19, 10, that tells us, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit or the gift of 
prophecy. And then those of you who were here who were here will remember that we talked about the Great Reformation, the Dark Ages, that lasted from 538 to 1798, 1260 years of papal persecution, and that at the end of that persecution, as we came into the 1800s, there were many different Protestant churches. The word Protestant means protestors, or those who protested against the Catholic Church and came out, and that's how we got Baptist, Methodist, Episcopalian, Nazarene, and all the other churches, Pentecostal, you know the list. And among that long list of groups that came out of the Reformation, there was, or there were two groups, one, the Adventists that believed in the second coming of Christ, and another, the Sabbatarians, people who kept the Sabbath. And these two groups didn't know each other. They were worshiping separately, but in the early 1840s, they found one another, and when they found one another, they yoked up, came together, and they said, look, you believe in the second coming, we believe in the Sabbath, both are right, both are in the Word of God, and so they began a church called the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And that coming together in 1843 saw the presence of a young woman who had the gift of prophecy right on time. God brought along this young girl, 17 years of age, in 1842, who by 1843, 44, and on was having dreams, and God was using her to help guide in the formation of this church. And she passed all the tests of the prophets. She passed all the physical tests, and she passed all the spiritual tests. The physical tests, including such things as I mentioned in Daniel, where he lost his breath and he lost his strength and he regained supernatural strength. The physical test included the fact that in one of her visions, the physicians there saw her holding a Bible, an 18-pound Bible in her hand for 30 minutes, extended as she prophesied as God spoke to her. And there were other physical tests that were very, very critical to the certification and authentication of her as a prophet of God. Supernatural things had happened. But the main things that happened that authenticated her were the spiritual tests, the test of her life, the good life she lived, the test of Matthew that says, by their fruits ye shall know them, and the results of her life in the experience of others. And the test that she passed also was the, was the fulfillment of her predictions when she predicted the San Francisco fire, for instance, and she predicted certain, certain discoveries and inventions, and you know many of them, those of you who have studied for a while, but all of this, as wonderful as it is and was, did not put her on par with the Bible. All wonderful, all good, and all true, but never once did God intend, nor did she herself declare, nor should the church ever attempt to put her on par with the Bible. She is the lesser light. 
The Seventh-day Adventist Church does not originate any doctrine with Ellen White. We believe in the Bible and the Bible only as the source of salvation for the human being. Ellen White was given this gift to encourage the church to help explain certain things in the Bible, to instruct families and our schools, to encourage us with Christian education. And I mentioned the roles that she played with starting Oakwood and also Loma Linda, and there were other places. She was given to help the brethren when they had problems to pray through them and find solutions. And this was her role, and this is still her role, and by it she being dead yet speaketh. And we talked about the Sabbath and what she had to say about the Sabbath and how we should keep the Sabbath. We did not study her writings about why the Sabbath is holy. We've been through that. But how it is that at sunset on Friday, we begin to keep the Sabbath holy, and we do so, and then we close out on the Sabbath day. And today, I wish to point out that she not only was very, very clear about the Sabbath, that's just one of the many very important aspects of salvation that we could study. Another has to do with stewardship, Christian stewardship. And I'd like to spend today's time digging down, drilling into the concept of stewardship from the greater light and the lesser light. And let's start with the greater light, which is the Bible, the Word of God. And I'm going to have my companions on the rostrum assist me here. And I'm going to start to my right. And, and you may find the text, Luke 12, 42, Pastor Lee was, 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2, Elder Hudson, 1 Peter 4, 10, Elder Brown. If you'll get ready for that, and then we'll go from there. The greater light has certain very critical statements to make about Christian stewardship. But let me identify. A steward is a person who is given certain goods, certain commodities, certain materials by an owner, and the steward is responsible to the owner. So that a steward is someone like a foreman, Someone like a manager who has to report to the big boss. And here the big boss is Jesus and we're all stewards and we have been given certain goods by God who tells us, now I'm giving you this and I want you to take care of it in certain ways. Come now and let's read, first of all, Luke 12, 42. Listen to the word and read along, please. Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? All right, here. And what version is that from which you read? NIV. The NIV New International Version doesn't say steward, it says manager. That's good. All right, you want to read for us now? 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. 
and I just have the regular King James Version. It said, let a man so account of us as of the ministry of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. All right. The Bible says, and this is the greater light, that it is required of a steward that one be found what? Faithful. One be found faithful. All right, 1 Peter 4, verse 10. As every man had received a gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So we've all received of God's goods. Every one of us is a steward, the greater light. Now let's see how the lesser light, let's test this. Let's go to the lesser light, the spirit of prophecy, the writings of Ellen White. This is the book, Councils on Stewardship. And by the way, it's a wonderful little book. It's where the brethren have gathered all that she said about stewardship and put it into one volume. Listen to what she says, page 116. God has left us in charge of his goods in his absence. Each steward has a special work to do for the advancement of God's kingdom. No one is excused. The Lord bids us all occupy till I come. We claim to be Christians, waiting for the second appearing of our Lord in the clouds of heaven. Then what shall we do with our time, our understanding, our possessions, which are not ours? They are what, everybody? They're not ours. Our time is not ours. Our talents are not ours. What shall we do with these possessions which are not ours, but are entrusted to us to test our honesty so that we are stewards and what we own, quote unquote, is not ours. Now that, that's the first thing we really want to establish as we open up the topic, as the lesser light helps us. We have it. And we control it, but it's not ours. It's not yours. Your talent, your house, your bank account, your car, your clothing, your time, all of that is not yours, not mine. It's God's and he's given it to us to test us. To see if we love him to see if we will be faithful. But let's dig in a little deeper because God gives all kinds of gifts. He gives the gifts of, of, of preaching and teaching and singing and playing the organ and the piano. He gives the gift of healing. He gives the gift of tongues. He gives the gift of helping. He gives some people the gift of cooking. He gives some people the gift of sewing. God has all kinds of gifts, administration, so forth, evangelism, it's all out there. And one of the many gifts that he gives, and this is also explained in the same volume, the book Councils on Stewardship, pages 112 and on, 
One of the gifts he gives is money. One of the gifts that God gives is money. And Elder Perkins, look at Psalm 50, 10 and 11. And Pastor Lebois, get ready for Deuteronomy 8, 17 and 18. And Elder Hudson, Proverbs 11, 2. And Elder Brown, Acts 5, 1 and 2. And we're going to see even further as we unwrap the package how all this fits in together. Look at what the greater light, Psalm 50, 10 and 11, has to say about the financial gift that God brings to us. Psalm 50, verse 10. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. So, let's start at the basic understanding. God owns everything. The cattle upon a thousand hills are his. He owns, he is the great creator. We are but little specks. We are but little creatures in the great scheme of the universe. It all belongs to him. And Deuteronomy 8, 17 and 18 continues by teaching us. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God. For it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant which he swore to your forefathers at, as it is today. So God owns it all, but he gives us power to get a little bit of it. Speaking of money, finance, what's in your wallet, what's in your pocketbook today, what's in your bank account, all of it has been allowed. All of it has been provided by God. It's his. But he gives us a little bit of it. And that's what the greater light tells us. But the greater light also tells us how we are to manage this. And I'm wondering now if we can't have Proverbs 11.2. Proverbs 11.2. Let's see. And make it Proverbs 11.25. Read verse 25. Instead of 11.2? Instead of 11.2.25. The liberal soul shall be made fat. Start again. The liberal soul shall be made fat. And he that watereth shall be water also himself. Alright, so the greater light tells us how we should handle our stewardship, our financial stewardship. And God says one thing is be liberal. If you want to get more, be liberal. Be liberal because the liberal soul shall be made fat. God's going to increase the liberal soul. Let's look at Acts 5, 1 and 2. But a certain man named Ananias and his, and with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession, a certain part, and laid it at the apostles' feet. Let me do that again. Right. But a certain man with his wife 
a certain man with a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, sold the position and kept back part of the price. His wife, also being privy to it, brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. All right. We're talking about Ananias and Sapphira. You remember the story. Here are these two people, and this is another lesson from the greater light as to how we manage this trust. Proverbs 11.25, you can write that in, says we should be liberal. Now Acts reminds us of Ananias and Sapphira. These two people made a pledge to God and said, we're going to, yes, we recognize our money is from God, and we're going to do such and such with this money. And they came into church having made a certain vow to God, but decided at the last minute it was too much. And one after another, they were slain in the church foyer, in the church door, because they not only were not liberal, but they were dishonest. All right, let's read now Ecclesiastes 5, 4, and 5. When you make a vow to God, do not delay in fulfilling it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. All right. So the greater light says, not only must we be liberal, not only must we be honest, but when we make a vow, we must fulfill that vow. And you know when you made your vow to be honest with God and to do your tithes and offerings right, when you went down in that pool or wherever you were baptized, they asked you, do you pledge to support the church with your tithes and your offering? And you were there in your robe and you were so happy and you were all thrilled. You're about to get baptized. And when the man said or the woman said, will you support the church? What did you say? I do. I do. And church membership means, church membership means from the greater light that we will be honest, we will be liberal, and we will be faithful. But there's more. Come now, Malachi 3, 8 to 10. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offering. You are cursed with a curse. For you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house. And prove me now, herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I would not open up the windows of heaven and pour you out blessings, that there should be night room enough to receive it. Amen. So, the greater light says, God gives us stewardship. He gives us financial stewardship. It's all his, but he trusts us with some. He gives us power so that we can have enough money to do what needs to be done in our lives for him. And that we should be liberal, and that we should be honest, and that we should be faithful, Ecclesiastes. And he says, when you do so in dual capacity, tithing and in offerings, both and offerings, I will open up the windows and pour you out a blessing. Now listen to Proverbs 30, verse 8. Thank you, Elder Perkins. And let's see something else very important from the greater light in the management of this financial trust. 
Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me. So God says, I'm going to give it to you. And you hear what Proverbs says? Proverbs says, all right, Lord. And this is one of the most unusual texts in all the Bible. Proverbs Solomon says, give me neither poverty nor riches. I'd like to be in the middle position, Lord. I don't want to be rich. And I don't want to be poor. Just let me be in the middle somewhere. That's a pretty good prayer, isn't it? You ought to mark that one in your Bible. The Bible says, a good prayer to the Lord when, we, when it comes to our financial stewardship and our financial position is not to pray to be rich. Some, some people are consumed with trying to get money. You know what? Just this week, uh, the secretary of the church, Carol, laid a letter on the pastor's desk and the letter said, congratulations. Your church has been selected randomly to receive a, a, a gift from this lawyer's firm. And there was inside a check for $25,000. And I saw that check. I said, praise the Lord. Look what we've got for plunk it down. Hadn't even gotten here. I, my eyes and my heart just rejoiced. And then the letter went on to say, 10,000 is for your church. And please immediately send 15,000 to attorney so-and-so, post office, box something or the other, in Canada, by Western Union. But you know what? Some of us, and, 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 and I know I've got some friends, and I came to the church, and I consulted with certain people, and they said, don't you do that. You know, don't, don't get excited. That, that's a scam. That's a scam. You know, they want us to deposit the check in the church, and meanwhile write a check to him in Canada, and then this check that we deposit bounces, and we're out of $15,000. But you know, I've got a lot of friends that have been fooled by things like that. Want to be rich so badly, somebody comes from Nigeria. And I don't know why so many of these schemes come from Nigeria. Pardon me all my Nigerian friends here. But so many of them come from some place like Nigeria where they want you to send them this. Or I just lost my wallet and you give me 15 and when I find it, I'll give you 30. Schemes. And if you want to avoid a lot of problems, just ask God to help you not to be crazy about money. And pray like Proverbs said, Lord, I'm not asking you for a whole lot of money, except as your will. It's all right to have it now. I'm, but I'm not out after scrambling for every dollar I can find. But Lord, while I'm not praying to be rich, please don't help me. Please help me not to be poor. Please help me not to be poor. Help me to have enough. And that's the balance that God expects us to seek. And that's the way the greater light talks. And there's more. But these are a few of the principles and counsels from the greater light. But now let's turn to the lesser light. Let's look at the next slide. 
and let's look at some things the lesser light has to say. And I'll read to you as we go along and you can see how Ellen White is used by God to back up the principles that we have just studied. Here on page 22 of the book, Councils to Stewards, the CS. However large, however small, the possessions of any individual, let him remember that it is his only in trust. For his strength, skill, time, talents, opportunities, and means, he must render an account to God. This is an individual work God gives to us that we may become like him, generous, and that we read that, the, the, the scripture with being liberal, noble, we read that in the matter of honesty, beneficent by giving and giving to others. So, the book Education continues, and here the lesser light would have us know the following. The goods that we handle are not our own. It's not ours. The, the bank account, the wallet, the pocketbook, the purse, these are not yours and mine and can never, this fact can never be safely lost sight of. We are but stewards, managers, and on the discharge of our obligation to God and man depend both the welfare of our fellow beings and our own destiny for this life and the life to come. So our trust, says the lesser light, backing up the greater light, is all from God. And we must manage it to self and to community. Community has to do with rendering unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. But let me read to you just one or two of those paragraphs on B1 that has to do, uh, that have to do with the management, our own personal management of our funds. And if you think I'm coming around to church funds in a few minutes, you're correct. But let me get here. First of all, to page 257 in the book. Be determined never to incur another debt. Now, I don't know why the children's story, the morning hymn, the scripture that was read, Pastor O'Bannon's song, everything is almost like I told everybody what I was going to talk about today. And maybe I did and forgot. But it's, it's, it's all fitting in. Everything. Children's story, more, everything. And this is the message. And it, we were asked, how many of you owe debt? Well, here, listen to what the prophet says. Be determined never to incur another debt. Deny yourself a thousand things rather than run in debt. This has been a curse of your life, getting into debt. Avoid it as you would smallpox. Now, of course, she was writing to a certain person who was having a problem. This was not saying it's a sin to use your credit card. She was writing to a certain person, and that person had overdone it. But the principle is good for all of us. The principle is good for all of us. And I heard, and maybe you heard it, an ad on TV of some company that's going to get everybody out of debt. And I wish I could believe that. I wish I could believe it. Just call this number, 1-800, in the next 10 minutes, and we'll tell you how to get out of debt, and we can cut your debt in half. I don't believe a word of it. Don't believe a word of it. 
But the truth of the matter is that America does have, on the average, we do have, every one of us, eight credit cards in our wallet and parking books. And the interest is atrocious and extortious, and we are a nation of people in debt, and in fact, we are a nation in debt, and we should avoid, as our prophet says, we should avoid debt and we should, as much as possible, keep ourselves away from that encumbrance. But let me read you another statement that also bears very directly and uh, very carefully on the subject. Let the members of the church, this is page 291 in the, that second bank, B to self, let the members of the church now put away their pride and lay off their ornaments. Each should keep a missionary box in hand to drop into it every penny he is tempted to waste in self-indulgence. But something more must be done than merely to dispense of superfluity. Self-denial must be practiced. Some of our comfortable and desirable things must be sacrificed. Let the preachers sharpen their message. And this goes to me too. And you, you can imagine all week I've been examining my own heart. And I wish, I wish I could go back over my life and recapture some of the money I've spent that I didn't have to spend buying things and doing things. So I'm talking to myself, not, not just to you, brothers and sisters, family, to me. Some of our comfortable and desirable things must be sacrificed. The preachers must sharpen their message, not merely assailing self-indulgence and pride in dress, but presenting Jesus, his life of self-denial and sacrifice. Let love, piety, and faith be cherished in the heart, and the precious fruits will appear in the life. And then... In addition to the lesser light with its counsel to us in our personal management, there is, of course, the message to the church. And I'm going to read you a few of those statements as we continue to explore. This is volume 9, page 246, and it's from the book, Testimonies to the Church. I had them up here for you a few Sabbaths ago, and I hope I'm piquing your interest, and many of you will buy some of these books for your homes. They are at the, at the Mountain View Church bookstore, and we hope to be able to provide more here. But go over there, look them, look them over, and buy some, and read them to your children. This is important. God gave the gift of prophecy for us and our children. And on this subject, it is super, super critical that we understand. Listen to what it says. Every Christian is a steward of God entrusted with his goods. All things belong to him. Men ignore his claims while he bountifully bestows his blessings upon them. A steward is identified with his master. He accepts the responsibilities of a steward and he must act in the master's stead doing as the master would were he presiding. And again, page 249, that was 246. The tithe is sacred, reserved by God for himself. It is to be brought into his treasure to be used to sustain the gospel laborers in their work. For a long time, the Lord has been robbed because there are those who do not realize that the tithe is God's reserved 
portion. Some have been dissatisfied and said, I will no longer pay my tithe for I have no confidence in the way things are being managed. But will you rob God because you think the management is not right? Make your complaint own plainly and openly in the right spirit to the proper ones. Send in your petitions for things to be adjusted and set in order, but do not withdraw from the work of God. Prove faithful because, don't prove unfaithful because others are not doing right. Brothers and sisters, there's never any excuse for you or for me to be unfaithful with our time. That's what the lesser light is saying. The tithe says God is God. And God says one, it's all his, but that one-tenth is his without any interference for you to make some disposition, for you to explore options about what to do with the other. You have no option. I have no option but the one-tenth. It is God's. And I want to congratulate Abundant Life. This is a wonderfully efficient tithing church. You are a good tithing church. Other ministers read our tithe record and they marvel. In fact, we tithe at approximately $1,600 per year per member. And of all the churches in Las Vegas, that is one of the highest per capita per member tithing ratios in the city of Las Vegas. And for our size, it is marvelous. I congratulate you. But you know what? It would be even better if everybody did what they should. And you know what the tithe is used for, right? The tithe is used to support the ministry. All of our tithe goes into the rooms that are counting, where money is counted. And we don't talk about the counting room too much because we don't want it known too much. But the money is counted, it is put in bags, it is banked, and then the person who writes the checks looks at the slip that the counters made out and makes sure that it says the same thing that the deposit people said at the bank. You hear what I said? We count the money here, make out a slip, and say so much came in on Sabbath. That slip is given to the brother who writes the checks and he holds on to it. And then when the deposit is made, I'm not going to tell you who makes the deposit either, but that's something we're, well, we are on the radio too, aren't we? All right, but when that deposit is made, then that deposit slip is compared with who counted, with what was counted. So there's a check and balance. And if there's any difference between what was counted and what was deposited, then we call up, no, we don't really, but, but we, 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 we'd be concerned. We'd be concerned. That's the way God's money has to be handled. And then from that tithe, that tithe, all of it goes to Reno to the conference office. We don't keep any tithe here. All the tithe goes to our conference office. And I'm happy to tell you, and I think I can say this publicly, that year before last and last year, our tithe exceeded $500,000 for a church, this church, that God is blessed. And that means somebody's being faithful. 
and we praise the Lord for that. But it all goes away. And the local conference keeps 46% of it, and they use that to pay the preachers. That's how he's paid, that's how I'm paid, that's how he's paid, that's how all the preachers in the city are paid, and that's what we use. 30% of it comes back when we have a school like we now have. 30% helps the teachers. They give us 30% because the Bible, the spirit of prophecy tell us that the tithe is used for the ministry, and we feel that our teachers are in ministry since it's a church school, they're teaching Bible, so 30% of their salary is covered by the tithe. And it's essential, not just for the work of the church, but it's essential for our soul salvation as read from Malachi. God says, prove me now herewith, and I will open you the windows of heaven pour you out a blessing. And that blessing goes for the church and the people. But it's not only the tithe that we must hurry along. There's also the offering. And we must also practice generosity and faithfulness in the offerings. I can't read you each of these. If you want a copy, you may get a copy of this a little later. But listen to the book, Patriarchs and Prophets. The contributions required of the Hebrews for religious and charitable purposes amounted to fully one-fourth of their income. So in addition to the, that's 25%. So in addition to the 10% of tithe that they gave, they also gave back to God, the people of Israel, 15% in church expense, you might call it. Now, we have not asked you to do 15% well. There are two or three who are doing 15%. And there are another 10 or so who are doing 10%. Many of you are doing 5%. Some are only doing 1% or 2%. And, and, and whatever you do is appreciated and helpful. But what I want to make very clear is that God not only says tithe, but he says offerings. Some people have said, well, the tithe is his, the rest is mine. No, it's all his. And he expects us, just as we must get ready for the Sabbath, beginning with sunset Saturday night, the whole week is God's, so all of our money is his, and we are admonished by God to be generous in our offerings. And as we have read from the greater light, so it is supported in the lesser light. And that liberality must also be regular. It, it's, got to be, it's got to be planned if it's going to be maximally beneficial. And let me read you a little bit on that line, that bullet from the book, Councils of Stewardship, page 180, and listen to the reasoning Listen to God's word. God's providence has arranged the entire plan of systematic benevolence. What kind of benevolence, everybody? Systematic. systematic. That means we just don't helter-skelter once in a while, sit down and figure out, well, I'm going to church, so I think I'll give them 5, 10, 15, 20. No, we plan it. And that's why we ask the membership of the church to commit to a certain portion for your church expense. We know you're going to do the 10% by God's grace for time, but we also need to know. And it's so important, not just to you, but it's important to the church. We do not pay the phone bill helter-skelter. 
We don't pay the light bill, help the skelter. We don't do the water bill, help the skelter. We don't pay the gardener, help the skelter. We don't pay the secretary, what we suddenly feel like paying. There are regular expenses, and when we say systematic, we mean that you get on a plan, brothers and sisters. We mean that you have a, a goal in mind. We mean you look at your income and say, by God's grace, with this non-tithe amount that I have, it belongs to God, and I'm going to give him a, a second tithe. Or I'm going to give him half a tithe. And you take it and put it on that envelope as it's called for and where it says stewardship, you mark it and you add it to your tithe. And that's how the church goes. This beautiful visual aid or, or this beautiful visual department we have back there where we get all of our, our tapes and our DVDs, it's not helter-skelter. That material costs money. And as you see with the school now, supporting our young people, it's going to take regular payments to teachers and other supplies, and we have to be on systems in order to make it work. And I would rather have a steady rain for three or four days, doesn't have to rain hard, but just keep on raining for three or four days than to have a big downpour and then nothing else. So when you hear us talking about stewardship, we're following the greater light, we're following the lesser light, and we, can't, we don't have time to read it all, but the principles are there, and the sex stewardships, councils of stewardship, we also read that we must all do equal sacrifice, like the, little, like the widow who put in her little mite. She didn't have much, but it was proportionately, it was all she had, and we must all do equally. You who make 50,000, 75,000, 100,000 a year, you should do your 10% for tithe. You will by God's grace and whatever God impresses you to do. Tithing says God is God and stewardship says God is good. And you cannot be deterred. Don't let anybody discourage you. Don't let anybody fill your mind with negativism. You go do what you know is right and God will bless you. And if we all pull together, we will see great things and God's program will run smoothly and we will be a church that floats on proper organization and the proper financial footing. Now the final slide that we want to see. What happens when all of this is the case? Well, first of all, God will increase your ability to give. That's the beautiful part. The more you give to him, what does the song say? Say that, let me see, am I getting that right? The more you give to him, the what? Yeah, and when you got a tight fist and you're holding on and you won't open up, God can't bless you because your fist is closed. And the reason some of us have so many problems in our homes and so many problems with bills and we can't get out from under the grinding heel of debt and oppression is we are stingy with God. The best way to get better off financially is to open up and be generous with God. Amen. Then God will give you more. But as long as you don't give for him, 
He's not going to give you more to waste on yourself. And if you do, it's only going to bring you sorrow and you'll find holes in your bags and your tires are going to get flat and your air conditioning is going to go out. Yeah, and your transmission is going to blow up and I don't wish you any bad luck. I'm just telling you what's going to happen. <laughs> and the next thing you want to remember, he will not only increase your ability to live, he'll increase, he'll increase your ability to give to others. And he'll give you the satisfaction of helping others around you. There's no satisfaction like helping people, helping other folk. There's a little game we all should play. And that is to do some good deed every day and tell nobody about it. I feel so good when I slip somebody a little money and don't say anything. Just, just slip them. Don't tell anybody. And I do that sometimes. I don't have any money, much. But when I can give somebody something and just keep my mouth closed. I'm going to say, look what I did. No, I did it. And I know a certain brother in this church that did that recently. We had something going on here, and a man was charging us $100. I'm not going to call his name, and he doesn't know that I know. But he paid the bill and told the man, don't tell anybody. And the man, I asked the man, who paid for this? He said, a brother. I said, what brother? He said, he told me not to tell. I said, that's okay, I'm a preacher, you can tell me. <laughs> and I know the brother, and I never said a word, and I thank him for it. Thank him for it. And it's great to be able to help others. And I can tell you, I stand here today, humbly, humbly, meekly, God's, God's worst of sinners, as Paul says. I'm the greatest I don't, of sinners. I don't claim to be rich or perfect. But you know what? I am here because when I was coming up in church school, people helped my mother keep me in church school. My poor mother, who was rearing us without a father and needed help. People gave her little bits of money so that we could go to church school yes. and we could stay. And if it hadn't happened, I'd have been dead a long time ago. Like many of my friends who didn't go or who went and left the church and spent their lives in the wrong direction. You'll have the satisfaction of prospering the work of God. We ought to take pride as we see good things happening like our church school. We'll have the joy of knowing we have treasure in heaven. And Jesus says we ought to lay up our treasure in heaven where rust and moth doth what? Not corrupt and where thieves do not. And we'll also have a development of character. We will develop our, our, the good things in, in our lives will be transformed. And I'm going to read you that perhaps as the final one in this time from Councils of Stewardship again, page 112 and 113. Listen to what the word says. It, meaning liberality with God, will transform them, meaning all of us, from selfish, covetous worshipers of mammon to earnest, faithful co-workers with Christ for the salvation of sinners. Practical benevolence will give spiritual life to thousands of nominal professors of truth who now mourn over their darkness. Systematic benevolence will transform us. 
Systematic benevolence will give us life. It'll bring joy. Instead of walking around with long, weary, sad, dour, mean, unhappy, critical, hang down, nobody's right, ain't nothing right, world's coming to an end, church going to the dogs, look at what they're doing, stop all that and give some money to God and start helping somebody. It'll bring a smile to your face. And God will increase the juices of joy in our hearts. And we'll become invigorated. And we'll become, we'll become excited about doing good for God. And it doesn't mean that you and I can do what somebody who's making lots of money can do. But we do what we can do. Even if it's 10 cents or a dollar, we do it. And if the church says we're going to have a school or we need a bus or whatever, just do our part. And watch God do the rest. And God blesses unity. And God will give us his power. And he will give us his joy. Let me conclude with a scripture that I ran across that I never really noticed before. The book of Luke, chapter 16. You know how it is when you read the Bible and you run across something, you've read it before, but it never stuck with you. This scripture says, Luke 16, And he, Jesus, said unto his disciples, verse 1, There was a certain rich man which had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that he wasted his goods. Now here was a steward that didn't do right. Here was a steward that the master found was guilty of not doing things the right way. Verse 1. And look at what happened. And the same was accused by the master that he wasted his goods. And he called him and said unto him, How is it I hear this of thee? Give an account for your stewardship, for that thou mayest no longer be steward. He said, in other words, if you can't tell me what you did with my money, they tell me you have not been a good manager, and now this steward was in danger of losing his job. In fact, he was in danger of losing his life back in those days. And the steward said within him, what shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship. I cannot dig to beg I am ashamed. <laughs> oh, now I do get a kick when I read that. The brother was in trouble with his master. He said, I can't dig, it's too hot out there in Las Vegas. I can't go out there with a jackhammer. I can't dig, and I'm not going to stand on the corner saying, hungry, need work. I cannot beg. So what am I going to do? So all right, he got smart. Verse 4, I am resolved to do what, I am resolved what to do, that when I am put out of stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his lords, debtor or son, to him. And he said unto the first, how much owest thou unto my lord? Oh, I love it. The brother got smart and he went around to the master's debtors, all those old masters, and he went, he said, how much do you owe my master? And the fellow said, I owe him a hundred dollars. He said, well, give me 80 and you forget about the others. And he went to the next one, how much do you owe? And he said, I owe 75. He said, all right, well, you give me 50, you can keep the other five. Then he went and said, how much do you owe? And he went and made deal with everybody who owed the master. And then he took all the money he collected and he went back to the master. He said, master, I, I collected all this for you. 
And the master said to him, well, that's wonderful. You've done a good job. He that is faithful, Jesus commented, and that which is least is faithful also in much. My question of you, church, today is how much do you owe our master? How much do you owe God? How much do you owe him for those wonderful parents that you had? Back there in Georgia, Mississippi, Alabama, Jamaica, wherever you came from, how much do you owe God for the Bible teaching they gave you when you were a child? How much do you owe my Lord for the Bible? How much do you owe him for the Holy Word? How much? How much do you owe him for the Ten Commandments to tell us how to live? How much do you owe him for having brought you to Sabbath, which gives you 52 vacation days a year? How much do you owe the Lord for teaching you to stop drinking and smoking? You could be out there on D and H and F and J, all shrunken up with your face all narrow and your skin all shiny and your body all skin and bones carrying a little brown bag right now. How much do you owe God for delivering you from sin and disease? How much do you owe God? How much do you owe my master for waking you up this morning? Amen. How much? How much do you owe him that you can eat this afternoon and those digestive juices work and your stomach is still in spite of some mistreatment? How much do you owe God that he hasn't stricken you down? How much do you owe God that you've had no veins popping in your head and no cells exploding in your body? How much do you owe God for coming down from glory? How much do you owe my master? This steward wants to ask you today, how much do you owe my master for leaving the company of angels and coming down into this cesspool of sin? How much do you owe my master for taking that cross and putting it on his shoulder and dragging himself to the street, to the hill of Golgotha? How much do you owe God? How much do you owe him for the nails? that were pounded through his vessels and veins and his hands and his feet. How much do you owe God for telling the other angels no? When strong angels tried to break through the crowd and pull him from the cross, how much do you owe Jesus for saying no? No. The Son of Man hath come to seek and save the lost and for being willing to die alone the painful death of Calvary. Is the sacrifice and love of Jesus so dominant in your heart today that you're willing to do everything he says? Until we get to that place, we're still not ready. Still not ready. It's only when we say, Jesus, your word and your promises supersede everything. Only when we love him to the ultimate 
love him to the ultimate. Are we prepared to claim to be true sons and daughters of God? The old folks said, don't let you, don't, don't you let nobody turn you around. Don't let the lust of other things of the world or what other people say and do deter you from being faithful. It's my pledge today. It's my determination. And if you join me in that, then I want you to stand and sing. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus. We love him for his sacrifice and we owe him. My prayer now today as we leave is that you will let him shine more brightly than anybody or anything. May he shine more brightly than new cars and new houses and new clothes. Lord, help us to see Calvary in its true light. May he shine more brightly than everything and everybody. And may we get the point today that we are stewards, stewards of all we own, including our money, and that we should be more careful, more thoughtful, more faithful, more generous, and that it will all redound to your name's honor and glory and to our blessings, not only in this world, but in the world to come. And as we leave, the doors of the church are open. That man, a woman, a boy, a girl who is here, who is not already a member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, we invite you to join us. Come join us on our journey to glory. We're sending up our timber day by day ahead of time. And one day we're going to reap a reward. We're not going to be saved because we gave tithe and offering, but we will be rewarded in glory according to our gifts. And I don't know about you, but I want a crown of many stars and I want every goody heaven's going to provide. Who is out there who would like to join us in following Jesus and his sacrifice? You're willing to sacrifice now so you can reap rewards later. Just raise your hand, you're out there. If you haven't already done so and you're here, raise your hand. You can become a member of God's remnant people. Join us. Who out there used to be a member and you want to come back home? This is a good time to come. Say yes, I want to be a full-fledged steward. Here I am. The doors of the church are open. Father in heaven, may your word be a seed in good soil. May the harvest be not just full coffers in the church, but our salvation in the kingdom to come. We ask in Jesus' name that all the people say,
Amen. Shall we be seated?